Hello everyone. This week on Vegan World, we speak to Vanessa Hudson, who is the leader of the Animal Welfare Party in the United Kingdom. Now, the Animal Welfare Party in the United Kingdom are part of a global network of animal rights parties, including the Animal Justice Party in Australia. If you go into the back catalogue of Vegan World episodes, you can listen to an episode where I interviewed Emma Hurst, where amongst other things she talks about the electoral success the party had in New South Wales there, and also how they've helped introduce various pieces of legislation for the benefit of animals there. Now this year, local government elections will be held up and down the United Kingdom in England, Scotland and Wales, but also London mayoral elections and the Animal Welfare Party will be standing in those elections. So I thought it was a really good time to speak to Vanessa and understand a little bit more, firstly about her background, how she became involved in animal rights, but also how she became involved in the party itself, what the party stands for, and why those who can vote for them should consider doing so. So without further ado, here we are. Enjoy the interview. Thank you for having me on, it's an honour. So Vanessa, can you tell me about, for those who don't know you or your party, um, can you tell me about your background, first of all, and how you first became involved in animal welfare and animal rights? Oh, well, yes. <laughs> I, I really loved animals from being very small, from you know, being a little girl. I first seven years of my life, we lived in Sheffield, and... Um, I mean, I don't remember much of this, but my mum tells me that she used to take me to the market in Sheffield and I would see these, I think they were rabbits hung up, obviously dead, they were for sale. And I would start crying. My mum says that I would start hyperventilating and say, mum, can you help them? Can you help them? Can you save them? And obviously, you know, she couldn't. Um, so she said from a really early age, I was very, very, you know, taken by animals and confused by how grown-ups by adults didn't see how beautiful they were and how we should be protecting them and, and not harming them or killing them. Um, so from being really small, I was never really into the idea of eating meat. Um, you know, my family did eat meat back then growing up. Um, but when I was seven, we moved from Sheffield to the countryside. We moved to North Nottinghamshire, to a little village. And it just so happened that in the middle of that village, there was a chicken slaughterhouse. Um, and at that time, it kind of operated without the doors to the factory being closed. And so as kids, we would, you know, bomb around on our bikes or go around on foot. And, you know, a few times we got to a vantage point where we were looking into this factory and just watching the chickens being killed. And, you know, the main thing about this factory is that the sound of those chickens being killed in my mind as a kid, it just dominated the sound of the village the whole day from when it was running, say, nine in the morning till five at night or wherever it was. The whole sound from where we lived was just the sound of kind of squawking birds. And obviously that's the sound of animals fighting desperately in the last moments of their life. And, you know, we would watch these animals been taken off the lorries where they were they would arrive by lorry you know these big crates they would sit on the lorries and then when it was their time when their time was up they would be taken off quite roughly you know and held up by their feet you know they'd go along this conveyor belt until they're killed and you know there's that frantic squawking sound and then at the end of the day in my mind there was you know this kind of river of blood that would flow down the hill that the factory was placed on and as kids we watched all of this and you know, it really goes in, it seeps in. You, you start questioning, God, what is, what is this all about? Why are we doing this? Uh, and not long after that, 
there was a lorry that was leaving the factory and it was carrying all the kind of parts that humans don't eat. So I guess the, the crowns and the feet and bits of the chicken that we don't eat. And this lorry turned over and it deposited its contents into the middle of the road. And as kids, we were there on our bikes and we stopped and we were kind of looking and prodding it all with our sticks and stuff. And suddenly that was it in our minds. That was it. We didn't want to be part of this. And I remember we got on our bikes, we cycled home, went in through the front door and said, mom, dad, we're not eating meat or fish or chicken anymore. That's it. We're done. And we were really young. I think I was seven. My sister was eight, possibly a year older. Uh, so that's where it began, really, this not wanting to be part of harming animals in that way. Um, and then, so I was just a vegetarian from that point onwards. And, but I was, I think I was very lucky because when I went to secondary school, um, as part of our personal and social education, uh, there was a visiting speaker invited into our school to talk about the conditions in which uh, farmed animals are kept. Um, and I thought I kind of knew everything there. I was living in the countryside. I was vegetarian. I kind of thought I know how animals are kept. And this guy started talking about, you know, did you know the fact that a cow has to be pregnant to make milk? And, and what do you think happens to the babies? And this was stuff that I'd never even contemplated. Okay, what happens to the babies? And, uh, you know, he said, unfortunately, if they're boys, they'll be killed. And he said, you know, take eggs. Do you know how much space the average hen has to live on? It's an A4 sheet of paper. You know, she can't open her wings or turn around. And, and you know, instantly from hearing that guy talk at school, I thought, well, I don't want to be part of that either. So my, my sort of beginning of becoming vegan happened when I was about 14, 15, after hearing that guy talk at school. And I'm very grateful to that teacher who, who, uh, invited the visiting speaker in because I do think afterwards he got a bit of stick for it it was a really rural area that we lived in and I think a few parents complained and I remember a few days later he had to stand up in assembly Mr May this was and he had to apologize for the fact that he'd invited this guy in and he apologized for the information that had been conveyed to us but from my position I was like there's nothing to apologize for you know this was the most important lesson of my school days really and one that has gone on to inform a lot of things that I've done afterwards so uh yeah there was there was nothing to apologize for no definitely that's a, I was as you were telling that story I was thinking the school loves a very progressive outlook for them and you know task for them to let that guy in to to give you guys the information I mean it's not every school you would get that at but that's amazing yeah, it was, you know, just a very uh, unique happening, I think. I don't think it was planned particularly. <laughs> no, um, absolutely. Yeah. So, but you were saying, how did I get involved in the, in in animal rights then? Yeah. So, mm -hmm. I, you know, I was I, I became vegan fully when I was 21. Um, and then, you know, I, I got a job in media. That's what I wanted to work in. I started working in media. Um, but I also wanted to promote veganism. I, I kind of had... I had another duty to promote veganism and I was looking around for ways to do that and I joined the vegetarian cycling and athletics club and I'd been a runner in that club for a while and then a few people there said look why don't we start a vegan club and so this kind of offshoot of that club was the vegan runners which you know obviously now has quite a lot of um, members in the UK and around the world and uh, for a while I was the press secretary for vegan runners uh, and you know my whole idea was that we we needed to show positive examples of what vegans could be and do um 
and that's you know that's what I was trying to do at Vegan Runners. And through Vegan Runners, I met uh, Andrew Knight, Professor Andrew Knight, Professor of uh, Animal Welfare. Um, and he said, you know, you know, there's a political party for animals trying to get off the ground, and you might be interested in um, in seeing what we're doing. And at that time, I was thinking, really, just as a producer, I was thinking, oh, I'd like to make a documentary about this. It's really interesting. Um, so I went along to a meeting just to see what they were talking about. And I have to say, at the end of that first meeting, I kind of thought, well, I'm not going to be objective or impartial about this topic because I really care passionately about them succeeding. I want them to succeed. Um, so I shelved the idea of doing a documentary on the party. And instead I joined and got involved. And shortly after that, I took over the leadership from Yasmin Dabu, who'd started the party. Um, yeah, so that was in 2010. The party itself, um, I've had a look at the objectives and the policies there online but for those listening um what are the core fundamental beliefs and, and that drive the party that you know if you were in council if you were successful in council elections or what would be the core fundamental policies that would drive your party well at its simplest it is our belief that we need to create a world that's fairer and obviously we have animals in mind when we say that but it's not just fairer for animals it's fairer for people and fairer for the environment um, and the belief that right now at this moment in time we don't have this fair society and then kind of related to that for me particularly is this idea that actually underpinning almost everything we do in society is speciesism um, the, be the belief that um, we give special rights or privileges to one species based solely on the fact that they're a membership of that species so you know for example we give special rights and privileges to human beings uh, based solely on the fact that we're human beings and we have a kind of blindness to almost any other interest going if it's not a human interest um, and I you know I've been thinking about this for a few years now you know like what is it what is it at the crux of our issues with animals and the environment? Why do we kind of fail to protect their interests? Why do these horrible abuses still happen in a society that thinks of itself as developed and um, civilized? You know, why is this still happening? And it's, I think it's down to a kind of blindness that we just don't see animals and nature as, as mattering, as being significant. Um, so for me in particular, it's, I really want to challenge that speciesism that I think underpin underpins almost everything that we do um but on a more yeah on a, you might be thinking but well, on a practical level what would we like to see i think right now the major urgency has to be in really getting politicians to grasp that we we need to lead on transitioning to plant-based diets and that's not just because it's better for human health but because we really don't have time to waste in terms of tackling climate change and the biodiversity crisis you know we've got a really limited window in which we can act as humanity to stop uh, irreversible climate change from happening and one way that we know we can do that is by transitioning to plant-based diets and at the same time we might solve our awful biodiversity crisis that we find ourselves in so I would say any politician that isn't really grappling with that right now, that isn't thinking how do we lead society towards a plant-based diet is kind of missing the point of what an urgent situation we're in. Mm -hmm. Do you see that as a, a, um, 
collaborative approach. Uh, in the Republic of Ireland, there's the two old traditional parties. In England, they're equivalent, believe it or not, Conservative and Labour. You know, they're two big mm-hmm. traditional parties. Who, yeah. We're all led to believe despise one another, but they were able to go into government and find commonality there, you know, for a programme of government. But because of the nature of the political system down there, um, they, because they use proportional representation, they always would have uh, needed uh, one of the smaller parties um, to kind of top them up to get them over 51% uh, for government. And lo and behold, this time it was the Green Party uh, who mm-hmm. were brought in there. Now, Ireland and the Republic of Ireland in particular is um, traditionally a very rural, well, it's a knowledge economy at the minute, but they're still outside of areas like Dublin and Cork and Galway. In the cities, it's a very kind of agriculture-based economy. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the, the fury that was directed at the Green Party upon their entry into government was um, bloody vegans, you know, telling us what to do. You know, you can't, our jobs are precious to us. You know, we've been doing this for centuries, blah, blah, blah. And they very much took the, the view of a, collabor- a collaborative approach with them. They say, look, okay, we can work with you to reduce your herd numbers to begin with. Um, and instead of paying you to make uh, butter, dairy, eggs, uh, and animal flesh, um, which isn't profitable for you. Instead of giving you and subsidizing you to do that, we'll actually subsidize you to do other things like biodiversity, uh, grow trees, uh, solar power, et cetera, things like that. And interestingly, I thought the head of the farmers union who was on the same debate with him, I thought he was, I thought his head was going to explode <laughs> during, during the, the, uh, the interview, but he said, actually, you know what, that makes sense. Um, I thought, wow, that, that is really not the response that I was expecting from you know, people from whose livelihoods depend on agriculture, depend on this heinous industry that treats animals the way that it does. But is that something that your, your party would, would approach in the same type of way? Yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously, we don't want any one group to, mm. to be penalised by this. And I have tremendous sympathy with with farmers and I know a lot of dairy farmers actually it's an incredibly difficult business and it's it's very difficult to make money from from dairy farming and you know on a personal human level I feel for them like I feel for the next person of course and so whatever we're suggesting has to work for everybody and so you know the plan has to be that you you redirect subsidies away from where they're going right now livestock fisheries and into sustainable agriculture and and the idea is that farmers who are currently engaging in you know activities that are not viable long term or that don't serve us all well long term they would be funded to to move into other areas and they wouldn't miss out on funding it was just that that funding would be attached to a different activity and at the same time that we would have funding available for research into, for example, plant protein crops, uh, and that we'd be funding education as well in terms of how do you move into those areas. So there'd be a complete funding package directing farmers from one activity into another that we hope is more sustainable long-term and that serves us all basically, because we're all in this together. Mm -hmm. In England, quite quite shortly, um, you have the uh, local elections that are coming up in May, I believe. Um, if I was um, a voter over there and I walked into a uh, polling booth and I saw a, an AWP representative on the, the ticket um, amongst all the rest of them and I saw a Green Party representative, I saw what would incentivize me as a, as a vegan or a non-vegan uh, to vote for your party? And when I'm faced with 
also the Green Party on that table. What would differentiate the two parties in your view, Vanessa? I hope that if you walked into a, a polling booth or if your, you, your ballot paper comes through your door in a few weeks' time and you look at that ballot paper and you think, okay, who gets my vote here? If, if you are a person that's motivated by the idea that animals currently um, are not served by us, um, that you would think, okay, Animal Welfare Party, they, they might be for me, what are they about? And I hope that we would sufficiently have managed to reach people to kind of convey the fact that what we're about is making sure that the needs of animals are not constantly overlooked by the needs of humans. Um, and so hopefully people will come to understand that as a party, what we're about is saying, it's just, we just can't continue to, to sideline the needs of, of other animals in our society. So whether you're motivated by dogs and cats being bred and, and sold as if they were commodities, uh, whether that motivates you, whether you're motivated by wild animals being persecuted by humans who, who want to hunt them and uh, take pleasure from, from killing them, whether you're just motivated by the kind of casual disregard that we have for, for wildlife and biodiversity around us, you know, the kind of destroying of nature in order to, to build HS2, or whether it's the destroying of, of, of trees and birds in order to build new houses, whether that's what motivates you. If you feel, if you've walked along and you've thought, gosh, our society just isn't working, we just don't care about the needs of those we share this planet with. If you've had that thought, then you come to realize that actually, Animal Welfare Party is the party for you. And, you know, your question is what differentiates us from the Green Party? And, you know, I don't, I don't like to engage in a kind of politics that, that uh, you know, talks negatively about other people or other parties, because I'm not sure that kind of politics really serves any of us well. And I actually think it puts a lot of people off politics in general, you know, the kind of yarboo, um, bad-mouthing of other politicians. I'm not sure it's the way forward. So I don't particularly want to talk about what the Green Party aren't doing, but what I would say is if you want to vote for a party that believes in ending speciesism and you want to vote for a party that believes that animals have rights, the right not to suffer unduly at the hands of man and that our environment, our biodiversity has a right to be protected against the excesses of human beings, then we are the party to vote for. Very well said. I think people are a little bit tired of the uh, negative type of politics that the last <laughs> certainly eight years of some bombarding as well. So that, that's refreshing and encouraging to hear. Um, talk to me about the past election successes of your party, Vanessa, because um, you're by no means uh, without um, representatives around the UK as it is. Is that all right? We do have one representative, that's Jane Smith. Um, she's a deputy leader. She's also a, a town councillor in a town called Arsager in Cheshire. And for the future, I mean, but with the likes of the, uh, the elections we were talking about uh, just on the horizon, um, what is your hope for, for those elections and what's going to come out of them? I think at this stage in our game, the May elections may, may still be a kind of awareness raising exercise. I would like to think that we would win a seat and one of the, um, the areas that we're standing in, London, for example, the London Assembly elections. Um, last time we stood in the London Assembly elections, we got just shy of 26,000 votes. 
um, which is around 1% of the vote. Now, in that election, we would need 5% of the vote to win a seat um, in the London Assembly. It is a PR election, a proportional representation election, and, and in those types of elections, we tend to do better. Um, whether we will win a seat or not remains to be seen. And I think at this stage in our kind of uh, development, we may still be just in the process of awareness raising. Um, we, we're also hoping to stand in the Scottish Parliament elections. Um, now in the Scottish Parliament elections, we're, we're looking to stand in one electoral region there. Um, last time, 2016, we stood in Glasgow region. Uh, I don't know if it will be the same reason, region this time, it could be a different region, but there we, we would need around 8% of the vote to win a seat. So whether we would achieve that this time around, you know, it remains to be seen. We may not. It's still OK for us. You know, we are we know that this is a long road. And actually the political system in which we operate here in the UK is really difficult for us. It's really tricky, not just in terms of, you know, the elections, whether they're PR elections or, or first past the post. And obviously first past the post is really difficult for small parties. Um, but also there's lots of other um things about the way our elections are set up um, that makes them really skewed towards larger parties being successful. You know, one of those is the deposit system. So to stand in the London Assembly elections, we pay a £5,000 deposit to stand. Um, you know, to stand in Scottish Parliament elections, it's £500 per region contested. And then on top of that, obviously, you have all your, um, your election campaign costs. So... Um, to stand in the mayoral election, for example, it's £10,000 and then £10,000 to be included in the, the um, mayoral address booklet. Um, and they're all kind of costs that, you know, larger parties might, you know, they might not blink at. It's just like, yes, we have, that. <laughs> we have those funds available. But for small parties, those costs are really considerable uh, and they are, you know, a barrier to entry, which is, uh, you know, the intention is that smaller parties are, are kind of meant to be, you know, if you don't have a certain level of support, you're kept out. But I'd rather that level of support was demonstrated in another way than your financial clout, because I don't think that's fair. Um, so, yeah, our political system is, is a tricky one to navigate. And I think it means that we we have seen success at a much slower rate than some of our sister parties around the world. You know, we've got some parties in our international group of political parties for animals that have, very, have become very successful very quickly. You know, the Dutch party, uh, the Australian party. Uh, and here in the UK, you know, we are really dealing with a tricky system. And I think for us, it will take longer. But, you know, we were delighted when we, we gained our first representative, Jane Smith. And then she, uh, when she uh, took part in an elections to retain her seat, she not only did she retain the seat, but she actually got more votes than the Conservative candidate and the Labour candidate, which, you know, was something we really weren't expecting. Um, so, you know, her, her gaining, regaining her seat last year has really been, a, sorry, not last year, 2019, has really been demonstrated to us that actually we can do well at a local level, we can do well at local council level, and that we will also be pursuing uh, local elections as a, as a kind of avenue where we can gain representatives and hopefully become more well-known as a party. Absolutely, fantastic. And just on that, um, how can people get involved? How can they help, Vanessa? How can, if I, obviously people come into a polling booth and vote for you come May, that would be an awesome way of helping you. But if um, anyone hears this and they think, oh, that's the party for me, I'd like to help more, how can they do that? 
there's a number of ways people can support us. Obviously, voting for us on the 6th of May, if we're on your ballot paper, that's the number one way that you can help in the immediate term. But also by joining the party, you know, the, the more members we have, the more clout we have in speaking up for animals in the political sphere. Um, so you can join. We have really low rates for joining, starting at £5 for those who are unwaged, £5 per year, that is. So... To join the party, just visit our website, animalwelfareparty.org. But also, you know, if you're not ready to make that level of commitment yet, you can become a registered supporter. Or you can just follow us on social media, on Facebook, on Twitter or Instagram. Keep up with kind of what we're doing, what we're talking about. And we always love it when people will share our posts, uh, like, like, like and comment on what we're posting or share our posts. That really kind of helps us be seen on social media as well. Um, there are other opportunities as well. Sometimes people are, you know, invited themselves to take part in debates or phone in radio shows or write letters to their local newspaper. And in any of those kind of uh, areas, you can kind of express your support for either Animal Welfare Party or a policy that we have. You can kind of draw attention to a policy that we have. Brilliant. Fantastic. Well, I wish you every success in May and beyond, Vanessa. Um, fingers Thank crossed you very much. Be. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, it means a lot. Thanks. <laughs>